0: for doing that. Thanks Dave. Um, So it's good to be up here. I was honoured to be asked to be one of the people who's sharing over January. Um, If you haven't heard any of the others speak, I highly recommend um, seeing if you can get a hold of their audio um, transcripts or watching the videos. I know some of them are online. Um, I was listening to Tamarin this morning and had a bit of a mini heart attack because the way she started her sermon was how I'd planned to start my sermon and I was like, oh have we like not coordinated and actually are talking about the exact same thing? thankfully we're talking about different things um, we just both happen to like books um, so when I was thinking about favourite things to, or my favourite things we were given the very very broad category of favourites could have been favourite bible verse could have been favourite bible story it could have been anything about the bible that's your favourite and so she was talking about her favourite hobby reading books and I was going to talk about my favourite hobby growing up which was reading books <laughs> Um, now, growing up, I didn't like every book I came across, but one of my favourite kinds of books or favourite genres were those thick fantasy books, the f- fiction ones that had like multiple books in a series. Like when I'm talking multiple, I'm talking like multiple books. Ones that had interconnected backstories and maps and all those sort of things. Um, growing up, who's heard of the Ranger's Apprentice series? Anyone? Yeah, see some nods? Yeah, that was one of my favourites growing up. I read Red Wall, some of Ted Decker's. Works, Chronicles of Narnia, a poured over them. Um, I want to though hear from you what are some good book recommendations you've got for me? Any good book series out there to shout them out? Throne of glass. Sorry? Throne of, glass. Throne of Glass. I have not heard of that one, so that's a good new one. Inheritance. Inheritance, fantastic series. The Bible. The <laughs> Bible. I haven't heard of that one. No. <laughs> um, one of my favorite ones growing up i didn't start reading it until i was a teenager but it was lord of the rings um, that was it's one of the classic series who's read lord of the rings who's attempted but never finished reading lord of the rings yep yep it is a hefty book um it is full of maps it is full of histories and has several other books that just provide backstory like the silmarillion is the backstory of a single piece of jewelry that's mentioned in this book i love it i love it so much um, But there's lots of different kinds of books out there. Here in my hand is one book I read as a child. Um, It's about a little boy who finds buried treasure in his backyard and what he does with it. A real simple read. You can read it in an afternoon. And it's one and done. But what I love about these books is you can read them and your imagination is fired for weeks upon end, just thinking about all the different details in there. Quite often when we look at the Bible, we can often treat it a bit like a children's book. It's full of nice kids' stories and life lessons. It's got facts and numbers, like the literal book of Numbers. And even as adults, we can sometimes treat all the bits we read in the Bible as standalone elements. But one thing I find fascinating, one of my favorite things about the Bible, is it is so interconnected with itself. It's written by so many different authors, but ultimately God is the author of it all. And today I want to spend some time looking at one thing that when I discovered a couple of years ago, this thing. It blew my mind because it showed that God is in control of history and He's shaping it all for His purpose. So if you've got Bibles or if you've got devices, start looking into Daniel chapter 2. And while you're going there, I'll give you a bit of context about what's happening in the book of Daniel. So Daniel's in the Old Testament, and at this time, it was the time of the Babylonian exile. God's people, the Israelites, They had a promise with God about doing certain things and God would do things in return because they were God's special people. But they hadn't kept their end of the bargain and as a result, God had withdrawn his protection. The Babylonians had come in and as the Babylonians did at the time, they basically took all the people and spread them out into different countries so they couldn't band together and rebel. As a result, the Israelites, they were lost, they were broken, they were scattered and they were confused. But God wasn't done with them yet. He had a plan And though it would take several hundred years to come about, it was a plan that was going to shake the world. But I'm a bit of a nerd, so I'm not going to give away any spoilers yet. So at the start of the exile, in Daniel chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar was the king, and he had a dream, and none of his wise men could explain this dream. But Daniel, one of the Israelites who was in exile, was told the meaning of this dream and the dream itself by God. And that's what we're going to read tonight. So let's go to Daniel chapter 2 and down to verse 27. If you haven't got your Bibles, it's going to be up on the screen as well. Verse 27. Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he is asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown to King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and visions that pass through your mind as you are lying in bed are these... As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, "'Its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, "'its legs of iron, and its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. "'While you are watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. "'It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. "'Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold "'were all broken into pieces and became like chaff "'on a threshing floor in the summer. "'The wind swept them away without leaving a trace.' But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands, he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the fields and the birds in the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. But after you, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. And finally, there'll be a fourth kingdom, as strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw the iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so will the people be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to other people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it, it, it will itself endure forever." This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver and the gold pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. Now, if you know anything about history from that era, which is around about 500 BC, you will know that these things happened. The Babylonian Empire was succeeded by the Medo-Persian Empire, followed by the Greeks under Alexander the Great, and then followed by the Roman Empire. And during the Roman Empire, a little baby was born in a place called Bethlehem. But still, no spoilers. <laughs> anyway, so you might not get able to see clearly yet, but God knew what he was doing. And if you're willing to bear with me, we're going to have a look at some of the history and some of the impact of those kingdoms had and see if we can find what God was doing in the meantime. So if you want to take notes, feel free to take notes, but we will all compile it at the end as well. But if you take notes, you might see some things coming. So the Babylonians, the mighty head of gold. You see, the Babylonians, they were controlling a vast empire, and then in the years before they invaded Jerusalem, God had sent a wave of prophets, people who came to bring God's word to the Israelites. Now, before this time, God had sent prophets to remind the people of the promises they made to God and to remind them to turn from their sin and turn back to God. But they didn't. And in fact, they went too far, and eventually God changed his method. He instead of sending prophets to remind them to turn back to Him, he started sending prophets to tell them that it was too late. They were about to be invaded. And to prepare them for the eventual invasion, these prophets came with a message of a future hope and something called a Messiah. Some examples of the message they brought you can find in Isaiah nine verse six, for unto us a child is born, or in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord, or even Jeremiah twenty nine seven. Seek the prosperity of the city where you are placed, for in its prosperity you will find your own. God was preparing his people for this exile because he knew that there was something greater yet to come. And so when the Israelites were exiled, they were broken, but they had this hope. And as they were taken away, it actually changed something about their culture as a whole. You see, before this, the Israelites' entire focus of their religion was on the temple and the daily sacrifices. But the temple was destroyed, and the daily sacrifices were stopped. So the way they connected with their faith had to change. They started gathering in places they called synagogues, and instead of doing daily sacrifices, they started doing daily scripture readings and daily prayer. They started, because of this, seeing a message of redemption in the scriptures they hadn't seen before, as well as they actually started spreading this message of redemption to non-Jews. And if you follow it through the Bible, you can actually see the legacy of this in Acts and in the the Gospels. Some of the people that Jesus interacts with were these people who had heard about God, but they weren't of Jewish, Jewish heritage. Now, the world at this time was a chaotic mess of different kingdoms, all vying for control. The Babylonians were the strongest at the time, but as the prophecy said, there was to be another. And in the year 539 BC, the Persians rose up and conquered the Babylonian Empire. Now, one of the things that this brought about was the second king of this empire, Cyrus II, ended up re- allowing some of the Jews to return to Jerusalem, and they rebuilt the temple. Not all the Jews returned, but, and many were still scattered all over the world, but those Jews heard about the news, and they had hope. They actually began doing pilgrimages back to their homeland, and then back to their place of their birth, which has an impact later on. But again, no spoilers. Now, around about this time in your Bibles, the Old Testament ends, and we have several hundred years of silence. God does not communicate with his people, but God is still at work. Now, in the year 336, someone in the country of Macedonia by the name of Alexander was born. As a kid, he was taught how to read and how to write. He was taught how to play music. He studied under this guy called Aristotle, and he learned the science of medicine and the science of botany. And then at the age of 20, when his dad was assassinated, he became the king of Macedonia. He spent the next two years subduing any rivals he had around the area. And after two years, he was appointed a general of the Greek armies, invaded the middle east all the way from asia to africa and persia and became known as alexander the great who's heard of alexander the great now alexander he was a great military leader but he wasn't just a military leader he was a poet and he was a man of science and he had a dream he had a dream of a unified world but he knew that a unified world needed several things it needed a common culture and it needed a common way of communicating, or a common language. And so he set about doing that. He started building cities in the Greek style, and he started teaching everyone the Greek language as a way of unifying the world. Not everyone was happy with this, and particularly a lot of the Jews took offense to this, and as a result, there was a lot of persecution that happened to the Jews. But something strange happens when faithful people are persecuted. These Jews, instead of being pushed away from their religion, they actually pushed themselves closer to God. They dove into the scriptures, and as a way of preserving their faith, they actually translated the Old Testament scriptures from Aramaic, which not many people spoke anymore, and they translated it into Greek as a way of preserving it. And this translation process, they actually discovered this new concept, this thing called resurrection or life after death, which, again, no spoilers, but has an impact on what's to come. Unfortunately for Alexander and the Greek Empire, he died before his dream of a unified world was able to be accomplished, but his legacy lives on. Now, you've been sitting there for a little while. I want to give a bit of a shake, get a bit of a movement. And the next empire we're going to talk about is the Roman Empire. Now, I knew a fair bit about the Roman Empire because I've heard lots about it, and I'm hoping you guys have too. And I want you to turn to the person next to you. If you're sitting alone, we'll maybe shuffle across a little bit. And you've got about 30 seconds to a minute to tell them the dot points of every single thing you know about the Roman Empire. Okay? Now, if all you know about the Roman Empire comes from the nativity story or asterisks and obliques, that's okay. I want to hear some noise, though. Go for it. All right, so that's about 30 seconds. I want you to yell out some things you might have been told by your partner or knew about the Roman Empire. What are they famous for? What do you know about them? Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan. was after them, yes. They were good at building roads. They did. All roads lead to Rome is the saying. Lots of killing. There was, unfortunately, lots of killing. They conquered the largest empire at the time that went from... The Middle East, all the way through to Britain. What else? Is anything else we know about them? Concrete. concrete. They made Roman concrete, which we still don't know how to replicate. Plumbing, the they made the aqueducts. They made plumbing. They made so many good things that even we still use today. They, made universities. they did. They made universities. They're one of the first republics. The impact of the Roman Empire, we still feel today. And one of the reasons we get to feel that is because they've existed for hundreds of years. They were actually around before the Greek Empire was even a thing. But it wasn't until around 100 BC that they actually started a massive expansion. That's when they began conquering the world. Um, Where was I? There we go. And the impact of the Roman Empire, it was an interesting thing. So, under the Roman Empire, they enacted a lot of things. They built things. They built the aqueducts. They built the roads. They enacted this thing called Pax Romana, which means the Roman peace. Basically, they stopped the petty squabbles between nations. They enacted a system of justice, which meant criminals were actually punished and couldn't just run to another country to escape justice. And in general, the world became safer, especially for travelling. They built the roads interconnecting cities that had never been connected before and enabled long-distance travelling. They created one of the first intercontinental mail systems, which meant that not only nobles could communicate with each other, but the common folk could send letters to anyone in any other city. They also introduced this idea of one faith and one rule, which, while it wasn't a faith in God, it helped people to understand a concept that was to come, and they also introduced the concept of Roman citizenship, where you could be a citizen of Rome even though you weren't born in Rome or even had ever been to Rome, but you were still given the same rights as someone who was. And then one of the most impactful things they did, especially from a Christian point of view, is they, in around about the year 4 BC, they called for a census which prompted a very pregnant Mary to go to Bethlehem. So, in all these things I've been saying that God was at work. And he was. He was. Romans 8.28, as Dave referenced just before, says, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, if anyone was taking notes, you might be able to see a few things. But if you weren't taking notes, or even if you were, we're all going to go through it together. And I hope this gives you a greater appreciation of who God is. So, after Jesus' death and his resurrection... Just before he ascended into heaven, he gave his disciples a command. He gave them what we call today the Great Commission to go out into all the nations and to make disciples of all the people. And so the disciples, they did that. And when they went out, they actually found that the world was ready for them. It all starts back with the Babylonians. Can we have our Babylonian statue up and one of the major things that the Babylonians did is they took Jews who had just been told about this thing called a Messiah, and they put them in all corners of the world. And when Paul and the other apostles, they traveled to all different corners of the world, everywhere they went, they found synagogues of Jews waiting for a Messiah, waiting for this coming hope. And then, not only that, but the Persians, the silver-bodied, had allowed the temple to be rebuilt, which meant all those Jews living all over the world, they were making pilgrimages back to Jerusalem. And in Acts chapter 2, you can find some of those people doing pilgrimages when the Holy Spirit came down and the apostles started speaking in tongues. The people around them were amazed because they were like, hey, these guys, they're speaking in my language. And they're like, what's going on? These people became the first converts to Christianity. And then they went home to their own country to say, hey guys, this hope that we've been waiting for It's here, and his name is Jesus. Now, the mission of the apostles was also aided by the legacy of Alexander the Great. The Thighs of Bronze, everywhere the apostles went, even to other countries, they found that they could speak a common language there, because the world had been unified with the Greek language, which was still being spoken 300 years later. And as they went to places where they didn't find any Jews, they were still able to communicate with those people there because the Bible, or the Old Testament scriptures, had been translated into Greek, so anyone could understand them. A brilliant example of this is found in Acts chapter 8, where there's this Ethiopian who's traveling home in a chariot, and he's reading from the book of, I think it's Isaiah, and Peter stops him and gets in the chariot, and together they go through the scriptures and... Peter is able to explain how these scriptures are pointing towards Jesus, all because someone 300 years later had tried to change everyone's language to Greek. And finally, you get to the Romans, the mighty legs of iron. Thanks to their roads, when the disciples went to travel, they could travel with ease. They weren't afraid of highway bandits because of Pax Romana. As a Roman citizen, Paul was able to travel from country to country and, in most places, was protected by the fact that he was a Roman citizen. And then most people were able to understand the concept of being a citizen of a country you don't live in. So when the message was preached that through Jesus we become citizens of heaven, they were able to understand what that meant. And then through the mail system, we have most of the books that make up the New Testament today because they were written as letters to churches in other places. So all this meant that when the apostles actually went out, they found a world that was ripe for hearing it. So why did I pick this as my favorite thing? So... My favorite verse comes from the book of John. John 17, 20. It's in a time just before Jesus goes to the cross. And he's doing what we call now the high priestly prayer. He's in the garden and he is praying to God just before he's arrested. He prays for many things, but one of the things he prays for is his disciples that he's been traveling with. And then in verse 20, he prays these words. He says, I pray for my disciples and all who will hear about me through their message it's about four years ago when i read that and i realized that in that sentence there jesus actually prayed for me i don't know the route the gospel has taken to get from those 11 men to me but i do know that even 400 years before jesus prayed that prayer god had been shaping the world to make sure that jesus prayer had been fulfilled so that i could come to know him and it's no different for any one of you and the fact that I serve a God who is that powerful, that wise, who has the ability to see across time, well, that takes my, re- my faith, my religion, from a religion of doctrine and a religion of rules, and it gives it color, and it gives it dimension. It means that when I wake up in the morning and I look at the world that I know that my God has created, I can't help but sing his praises and marvel at what he's done. Because that's my favorite thing about learning things like this means that I can see what God has done and I can see that God is an amazing God worth praising. And I'm going to tell you this straight. You don't need to know any of this information to be saved. None of this will get you into heaven. None of this information. But the more I learn about God, the more I can't help praise him for the lengths he has gone and the lengths he is going to bring the world back into tune with him. And for you... Well, I don't know if books like this inspire you, ones with interwoven stories, but I know the Bible is one big book of interwoven stories. I don't know what the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart tonight, but I've thrown a whole lot at you, and I want to leave you with just a a couple things to ponder. So to the people in here who know and who love Jesus, I want to encourage you to ponder your own history, Ponder your own story. Think about what are the moving parts God moved to show you who he was. As I said, I don't know what happened in the 2,000 years between the apostles and to get to me. I know some of the history of the church between then. Some of it is good, some of it is bad. And I encourage you guys, look into it because you'll be able to see that God is at work between then and now. But I want to encourage you guys, think about your history. What is, whose legacy are you? To those who don't yet believe, though, or are questioning or seeking or are curious about God, I do sincerely believe that God is working to make himself known to you. And I want to encourage you guys to think about this. Why are you here tonight? What happened to bring you here tonight? Is there anywhere that you can see God at work that made you come here tonight? Because I believe that God is shaping the world to make sure that you can see who he is too and then for everyone with the knowledge that God has moved empires to answer Jesus' prayer and that Jesus himself knew that you were going to hear this message how does that make you feel that the Prince of Peace even in his darkest moment of all of history just before he was about to be killed on the cross he was thinking of you how does that make you feel and I want to leave you with what is your response going to be? Are you going to just sit, about, sit there and think that's a nice story, a little independent thing, and go about your day? Or are you going to think about and pray about and ask God how you can be another cog in this thing that is shaping the world to bring it back in line with him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the orchestrator of history, thank you for being who you are. Thank you for making and shaping this world. And I thank you that you've got the whole world in your hands. We know that you are working in everything for good. And thank you for working it so that we can be here tonight. Jesus, thank you for thinking of us, even in one of your darkest moments. As we ponder these things, God, may the Holy Spirit speak to us. May you reveal how you are at work in our lives. And may you guide us as we ponder what our response will be. Use us as you see fit to be the moving parts in other people's stories as we share your light with the world. Amen.